Hello everyone. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Women Startup Leader series. In this series, key female ecosystem players from Bangladesh and beyond will discuss phases of angel investing and all things startup. In this episode, we have Diksha Ahuja as speaker, Ahmed Yusuf, advisory lead at Bangladesh Angels, and Ariana Khan, analyst at Bangladesh Angels as moderator. Diksha Ahuja is a founder at Incubate. With nine years of experience across edtech, food tech, beauty tech, media tech, and healthcare tech, Diksha wears many hats as an entrepreneur, consultant, investor, collaborator. She is committed to enabling growth in the startup ecosystem for diversity and sustainability as driving force behind her work. Founded in 2020, NQB was launched in collaboration with Greenhouse Capital Africa that aims at bringing up the percentage of women in the startup ecosystem from the current 14%, which is dismal. The launch saw great success, with over 500 startups worldwide applying to be part of the inaugural cohort. The Angel Network aims to create a collective of women who want to invest in women-led startups, thereby increasing the funding that is being provided to diverse startups. The network was founded in partnership with Diksha's co-founder at Incubay, Yashita Maheshwari, and three other accomplished women investors and founders, Ankita Bashishta, Jairupa Jayabharati, and Anisha Patnai. They facilitated their first angel investment in Ready Set Jet, a beauty and social impact-led company founded by Shalini Vadera. The investment was done from some of the top women in the country who were partners of the largest VC funds. The network is also preparing to announce their second investment and they aim to also provide access to smart capital to any startup that they invest in through the networks that were built at Incubate. Um, it's it's so lovely to be here and uh, be connected with people from all over the globe. So I'm super excited, um, Emma, Dariana, and everyone who joined us to to share a little bit about my journey and you know why I feel so strongly about diversity. Thank you, Diksha. Thank you for joining us today. So um, we usually like to start off these sessions with you know your background and um, so when you were younger, what did you aspire to be, and where did you grow up? You know, I've I've actually been, uh, you know, across different parts of India as a country, uh, been in Delhi, I'm or originally from there, but I've also been in Bombay, Pune. Um, and funnily enough, I don't think I ever wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I was very studious. I literally topped, you know, uh, my school almost every time. And I was pretty convinced that, uh, you know, I'd go to a great college and then go for my master's and probably settle somewhere outside. Um, while I did end up going to a very good college, uh, St. Xavier's in Bombay, um, you know, at the time uh, when I was graduating, um, I think that's the best part when you're in college because, you know, I think the process of elimination works the best in figuring out what you're really good at, right? So. Um, what I ended up doing was um, interning, working at a lot of places, uh, finance, um, you know, private equity. Uh, I worked with a bunch of startups, real estate. But I think by the end of, you know, three to four years, I realized that I wasn't cut out to do a job. Um, and while everyone was graduating, most of my peers were, you know, either going abroad for their master's or picking up jobs with top consulting firms. I had offers from Google and McKinsey as well to work, but um, something inside me just wasn't, um, you know, keen on having a job and being a small fish in a big organization. 
um, I've always been someone who has been super, uh, you know, driven by creating impact. And what I couldn't figure was that how can I create impact for, for so many people if I just take up a job, you know, in a fancy organization, because um, your work should, should, you know, positively influence not only yourself and your immediate family, but a lot more people and the world around you, right? So um, I think that was the trigger point where I said that um, entrepreneurship does seem like, you know, uh, something that could help me achieve my vision of creating impact. Um, so yeah, Ariana, that's kind of how the journey started. Really nice. Yeah. So um, moving on, um, could you tell us a bit about your past experiences working in the startup ecosystem in India, um, especially, you know, working in across such a diverse array of sectors? Um, you know, you've worked on both the buy side as well as the sell side. So what was it like for you, especially being a woman? Um, absolutely. Um, so, you know, back at the time, uh, around 2011, 2012, um, at least in India, the startup ecosystem was very nascent. Uh, we were just about, uh, you know, beginning, beginning to see a lot of uh, people kind of uh, run companies, but, you know, I would say less than 10% of people graduating. Um, so it was definitely challenging. And uh, my first venture uh, about nine years back was in the edtech space. Now, edtech today is very, very talked about. It's one of the most invested in sectors. India per se is the largest edtech market globally, right? But nine years back, uh, people didn't even know the term edtech, right? And I remember them kind of turning back and questioning me and saying, hey, why does education need tech and innovation? Um, so um, I was, you know, a true believer of the fact that um, I think the education system, at least in India, uh, was very redundant, uh, not much innovation, and the way that the world was moving, you needed children to have a lot more skill sets for them to be professionally and personally relevant. Um, so that's how the journey started. Uh, my mom's been an educator, so a lot of inspiration as entrepreneurs, we derive from, you know, people in our houses. So she was the main inspiration, and I wanted to solve for this. Um, when you start out building uh, a company in a sector that has that doesn't have a playbook, the only thing for you to do is to go out, network, join other startup communities, talk to other founders to actually see what they're doing and could you probably you know pick up something or learn something from them. Um, a, there were very few communities about nine years back, and um, even rarer was the number of women in these communities, right? Like. When I started off my journey, I could really count the number of women who were founders around me because that's how rare we were. Um, and I remember going to events, uh, like say a hundred odd people and maybe like one, two, three, three women founders, right? Um, so that kind of, you know, really disheartened me. Um, luckily for me, I came from a very broad-minded family. I did not personally face any gender biases at home. So I did not have an issue, you know, going out, talking to people, uh, because I knew that the aim was to get get my startup ahead. But I did did realize that a lot of other women were holding back because, you know, of such such sort of disparity in numbers. Um, so challenges with there, you are creating for a sector that doesn't exist and you are competing in a world where there are very few people who really look like you. So uh, it was challenging, but I think uh, the lessons learned and what I'm doing today with NQB would not have happened had I not gone through that journey. Shifting gears of now, you know, to move towards the Incubate Angel Network, would love to learn more. Sure. Um, so um, 
just a little bit of background, right? Um, you know, in my in my entire journey, uh, one of the things that I faced um, as a, as a female founder was that, and I rather viewed this, uh, you know, not only through my journey but through journeys of so many other women founders who I have interacted with, mentored, consulted, um, or worked with either even. Um, is that most women founders, uh, you know, end up lacking access to good quality networks, right? Uh, now, as a entrepreneur who's just starting out, um, your network is your biggest asset. And that's what kind of gives you that strategic uh, push and pull. Uh, but in the absence of a good quality network of experts, mentors, corporates, investors, it's, it's kind of very, very tough for you uh, to really crack the code at an early stage, right? Um, capital is key to growth. Uh, while I'm not saying it is the most important thing, it is definitely, uh, you know, one of the things that you need to have if you really want to grow your venture. And uh, having kept that in mind, I kind of realized that uh, the amount of um, sort of capital that was being invested in companies that were run by women uh, was considerably lower, um, very, very lower, you know, compared to their male counterparts. And this seemed to be a global phenomenon. Now, at an early stage, um, you generally do your after your friends and family round, you end up doing angel investments, right? And um, if you kind of dig deep into the data of who these angel investors are, how much money they're pumping in, who are they backing, uh, you'll realize that very few angel investors are women, and even fewer angel investments are in companies that are run by women, right? So um, that was kind of the, the thesis on which we built the NQB Angel Network, where a, we wanted to have, you know, create a high quality network that female founders and funders could access and of course channelize new money towards these startups. Thank you for that. And um, so just diving in deeper into EAN now, um, how many members do you have at the moment? So the member is about uh, 50 members strong. Um, currently, uh, we operated for the past, um, five months uh, as a very invite-only network. And there are a lot of women who are partners at VC funds or are successful founders, uh, women in corporates, or you know, a lot of women who are also managing their family business money. Um, and uh, the way that you know, uh, sort of we look at it is that we want people to come here who can add just more than capital. Uh, money is very commoditized, right? Uh, you can raise money from anywhere, but what matters is how smart that money is and how can the investors that come onto your cap table actually add value, uh, you know, as to your growth and even in securing the next round, right? So the network is, in fact, just about two weeks ago, we opened up uh, memberships formally uh, to a much larger audience, but currently it's like a 50 members uh, strong team and they're both men and women. Um, so we encourage women to invest and a lot of our messaging is around getting more women to join the network as uh, funders. But uh, we also know that, uh, you know, you, you can't solve diversity without involving men in this. So there are some amazing men who are part of the network who want to, uh, you know, they're on support, a lot of female founders. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, you know, as, like we mentioned earlier, we're also in the process of creating a women's chapter for Bangladesh Angels. So we'd love to, um, you know, learn more about how, you know, your, how it's structured in terms of, you know, the modality. And um, you did mention the membership. So how do you sort of, you know, sustain the organization? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so a couple of things, right? And let me kind of uh, give a little backstory to uh, why I thought that this is something that that could could kind of you know fly. Um, in you know when we were when we had NQBA and when we were supporting a lot of these uh, female-run companies, uh, and some of them were brilliant companies. And um, unlike you know a lot of um, sort of stereotypical biases, people think that women only run traditional lifestyle businesses or businesses around just food, fashion, lifestyle. But you'd be surprised to see the amazing amount of innovation that women do across sustainability, across tech, mobility, across consumer tech, uh, femtech, fintech, and uh, so many of the women in our network uh, sort of started reaching out to us and saying, hey, we love what this founder is building and we love how you're supporting them. We'd like to invest. And uh, this was very intriguing because if you could, you know, India has a lot of angel networks, but none of them really speak to women. Um, and, you know, if you just, you know, look at, you know, even women, when they talk to each other, they, they, they seldom speak about investments. Um, so we saw this as a big opportunity and said, hey, this is a good way for us to also educate women on angel investing. And that's how, uh, you know, the entire modalities of the network is kind of formed. And um, um, so, so the first thing that, you know, we have to crack is just awareness and literacy, right? Uh, what we realized was most women did not understand the fundamentals of angel investing as an asset class. Um, so that's the first thing that, you know, we focus on, right? Actually exposing them to what angel investing is, um, how much of your portfolio should be allocated towards uh, investments in startups, right? Uh, and you can't do that without network access, right? So creating a high quality network of other members, other men and women who could be your peers, potential angels or, or experienced angels who you could, you know, sort of learn from. Um, once you kind of get entrenched into this entire system, we very regularly run a lot of upskilling masterclasses, uh, you know, on simple things, right? Even things like, um, how do you evaluate a company? What are some of the things that you see before uh, you kind of create or build your investment thesis, right? Um, how can you help a startup more? Um, how do you build your portfolio of the angel investments, right? How much should you put in for a company, right? So we do a lot of masterclasses around that. Um, and, and like I said, right, I think creating high quality networks and getting women to, to meet like-minded women where they can talk about these things is very, very key to what we're doing. So meeting other women investors, knowing that they're not the only woman in the room who's an investor along with so many other men was very important for us, right? Um, deal flow and investment opportunities, right? As I think one of the most important things uh, when you put out a network or when you're convincing a potential investor to invest is that do you have, are you going to give them access to good quality deal flow, right? Because today there are a lot of startups and there are a lot of funds, VCs, angel networks, right? But how do you get the best startups to actually come and want to take money from you, right? Um, luckily from us, I, you know, we're about five women who came together who each got experience of at least 10 years in the ecosystem. So um, just, just because of our credibility and some of our organic reach, we had, uh, you know, we have, uh, so to speak, access to excellent quality deal flow, right? And then, of course, uh, you know, the ROI, right? While, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel that a lot of the investments that women end up doing also, they want to invest in other women because, you know, 
somewhere subconsciously that's that's the cause that they want to contribute to but it also is you know is a very sound financial and objective investment for them right and the minute they see ROIs coming in they're more confident about investing or even referring their friends um, so that's kind of the modalities Ariana of you know how we put it together Got it, got it. And I think we can also take inspiration for that as we structure our own women's chapter. Um, so moving to the next question, um, how many companies have you supported so far and where are they based out of? Like, do you have a specific focus um, in, in terms of, you know, are you sector agnostic or do you have a specific industry focus? And um, how many do you plan to support if there's, you know, a specific number that you have in, in mind in terms of um, so I'm going to kind of answer this question in two parts. Um, I think support is, uh, you know, divided into monetary and non-monetary support, right? Now, uh, we set up NQBay before we formed the Angel Network. NQBay runs as a global diversity-focused network, kind of mimics what an incubator does, but specifically for female-founded companies. Um, our, our criteria is very simple. We work with startups that at least have one female in their founding team, which have majority or equal stake in the company, um, are of course scalable, sustainable businesses, sector agnostic businesses, uh, and of course we see investable uh, companies. Right? Uh, we are a global network. Uh, you know, of course, because we are based in India, about 60-65 percent of our portfolio is of companies based in India, but about 30, 30 to 40 percent of the companies we support are you know, based out of the US, UK, Singapore, Korea, so on and so forth, right? But there is a strong um, sort of, um, you can say relevance or connection with the Indian market. So either these founders want to have teams in India or they're actually, you know, creating um, sort of solutions for the Indian market, right? Because we are such a big market. Um, so that's what we do in terms of support. Um, you know, a lot of companies that approach us now, every company isn't ready for investment, you know, if they think they are. Uh, so we support them through helping them with their growth map, helping them become investment ready, getting them some strategic partnerships on board. Uh, we offer over a million dollars in credits to each of our startups that are curated from people like HSBC, AWS, Soho's of the world, Freshworks, so on and so forth. Um, and then at a time when, you know, they are investment ready, we do, we do work with them, get them to, you know, work on their pitches and present them in front of the network. Um, so far, uh, you know, your I think Emma did mention our our debut investment was in a company based out of the U.S. Uh, seasoned founder, American by birth but Indian by nationality, um, and um, she now has is actually you know creating an entire global footprint. So we're helping her set up shop in India, but even some other parts of the geography. Um, as we speak, we've just completed the second and third investment too. Um, and one thing that I'd like to point out is that we also support companies that are run by men uh, for the reverse reason. And very funnily, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of, you know, my male founders who I know as friends, they reach out and they say that we know how important diversity is. But sometimes male founders don't have enough women in their network to onboard as advisors or investors. Uh, so that's how we solve their problem, because I think diversity works both ways. So our second investment is in a company. Uh, which is a SaaS tech platform for, you know, a lot of smaller businesses run by men. But now, because we funded them, we've got a few women, um, you know, on their cap table. So, you know, kind of balancing those diversity numbers too. Interesting. Um, who were early champions that supported the cause? And what were some bottlenecks you had to overcome for Intuit? 
Um, so I think early champions were <coughs> a lot of uh, people. So I'm I'm someone as a person who really believes in uh, you know creating very strong relationships with people. I think a relationship can never be transactional. Uh, even if you want to work with someone, you know you have to build it over time. Uh, we had some amazing women in the ecosystem and men, you know, who've either been partners at VC funds, who've been successful founders, who've run, uh, you know, accelerators for companies like Microsoft and Google come and kind of support us uh, initially. Uh, so that was very encouraging. Uh, having said this, uh, what we launched, uh, you know, in 2020, 2021 was a big, uh, you know, factor of what we've been doing for five years. So I have been very active in the ecosystem myself. Uh, you know, trying to figure what to do. But I just think this entire virtual world was very, very uh, lucrative and very, very uh, encouraging for women uh, to kind of take the forefront because you no longer needed to have a location or time to be present. Uh, so those were some of, you know, the early supporters. Uh, in terms of challenges, I think I can write an entire book on that. Uh, and the first one being that, um, you know, um, and I think this still happens that whenever we speak about the fact that we are diversity focused as a network, whether to support founders or whether to even invest in, uh, people think it's a social cause. Uh, and I like to kind of correct them and say, I said, yes, I know that, you know, there is a social implication to getting more women to, you know, start participating in the professional workforce. But this also makes great business sense, right? I mean, there is enough of uh, theoretical data to prove that companies run by women uh, have higher ROIs, are a lot more innovative in what they do, are other diverse companies, right? So um, that's been a bit, you know, big, a big, been a big challenge. And um, I think secondly, everyone wants to bet on things that they've seen work in the past. Um, we've not had so many success stories of women, right? It's only today we have like the canvas of the world getting $40 billion valuation. So now I think, uh, you know, the time and the footprint for a lot of women founders is changing. Then soon investors and VCs will come to that. But till we get to that point, uh, you know, people will cross question, people will not support. But I think it's a matter of just sticking true to this. And um, in 20, at least the next 10 years are very bullish uh, for a lot of women founders across the globe. Absolutely. And I can totally relate with the former point you mentioned um, about, you know, simply about the social cost part that, you know, people simply supporting or investing in a company just because, you know, it's women led or it's women focused, but no, there is actually a, a business case for it. And, um, you know, just taking a human centered approach when you are, you know, thinking of investing in any company, I think that's important. So, um, yeah, moving on to the next question, um, what sort of, you know, what kind of pre-investment support do you provide to your, uh, to these companies in your pipeline or in your portfolio? And um, what's the play, uh, playbook there? Um, so, you know, no matter how much information is out there, I truly believe there are two sets of people who think very differently, right? Investors and founders. Um, and that that's only natural, right? Um, so I think one of the most important things that we help is we be the bridge between founders and investors, right? Because we come from both uh, you know, sort of both sides. So we understand what entrepreneurs want to portray, but we also understand what do investors look for when they are making an investment decision, right? So um, in terms of any pre-investment support, the first thing is, of course, helping the entrepreneurs get their pitch right, uh, you know, in terms of what they say, how they present it, how they present their future goals, 
so on and so forth. I think that's very important. And um, more than often, we feel that uh, working with the entrepreneurs for a good month or so on just helping them get that you know right storyline is very crucial because <laughs> you need to understand whether today you're an angel or you're a VC. Uh, you are going to be pitched by a lot of uh, founders, right? Where I can tell you that, hey, I would love you to spend a little, little bit more time towards female founders. You as an investor are going to take an objective decision, right? So it's very important that founders say the right things at the right time that make the right sense. So that's what we kind of help them with. Uh, the other thing is a lot of uh, a lot of times what I've also seen is founders don't very much understand what taking investments means. Uh, how they should be, you know, kind of looking at their cap table, how they should be looking at their growth strategy, how they should be planning their next raise. Should they be raising in tranches or not? Uh, who should they be picking up the money from? Who would be a strategic investor, right? So through the means of our network, not only do we, of course, have some amazing angels on board who we make sure that, you know, if they invest in a company, they're also adding more than just money. They can even introduce founders to, you know, people in their network for, you know, accelerated growth. Uh, but at the same time, we, you know, work with a lot of micro VCs, family offices who like to co-invest with us, right? So whether them coming in on the same round or the next round, right? So that is kind of a little bit of matchmaking that we end up doing, uh, Ariana, on a pre-investment side. Got it, got it. And um, so moving on to, um, you know, that was pre-investment, but uh, what sort of uh, post-investment support do you provide? Um, how was it structured in terms of, you know, the business development? We often see, uh, you know, when VCs or even angel networks invest in these companies. So what sort of, you know, support is there for your portfolio companies? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, very rightly said, I think we're one network who, actively works uh, with the founders because I think it works two ways, right? Um, as investors, you only have a business if the founders do well. So if you're not part of that, if you're not part of helping them build that, uh, it's, it's, it's very tough to see a return on your own investment, right? So uh, we actively help them uh, to achieve their growth goals. And we do this through multiple ways, right? Um, a, you know, helping them cut down costs. So, you know, and giving them access to credits, like I said, from some of the top tech companies, uh, you know, across, um, you know, cloud services, hiring, recruiting, uh, marketing, legal assistance, so on and so forth, banking. Um, the other thing is also actually um, helping them sort of get a lot more strategic partnerships or deals. So we work closely with a lot of big corporates. Now, big corporates engaging with startups could be through maybe, you know, giving them, giving the startups a, you know, opportunity to do a pilot, do an MVP, or to even onboard them as vendors, right? So we kind of facilitate some of those deals. And then, uh, of course, you know, when the founder wants to raise their next round, we actively sort of, you know, uh, forefront some of those discussions because that's the network that we've built. And we all know that when it comes to raising, it's all about the relationships and the references, right? Today, as a VC, I might get 100 mails, but if I get a mail from someone who I know, I'm going to make sure that I pick it up, right? So uh, those are some of the post-investment sort of, um, you know, um, help areas that, that we focus on. Got it, got it. And, um, you know, moving on to what's the approach to realizing exit potentials and opportunities for your portfolio companies? Right. Um, so we look at exits in two ways. One is, of course, uh, you know, uh, as angels, um, you do end up, end up getting exits on the subsequent round if it's a larger VC round. 
we try to liaison with VCs, uh, you know, when we are making investments so that they know that this is a sector or this is a company that, you know, we're bullish on. And the second is in terms of acquisitions, right? Uh, we're seeing a lot of acquisitions happening, uh, you know, either through very well-funded startups or even through a lot of corporates, right? Who then want to uh, have some of these startups become, you know, the next gen innovation paths for them. Um, so we try and liaison that not only in India, but globally too, right? So for example, if as a, as a network, we do have a very strong focus on, you know, femtech or D2C. Right. So we'll make sure that we know enough people in the ecosystem and we're able to kind of pick and put the products or the services that our startups are giving along with a much larger play. Right. Um, so we we do that, you know, we kind of keep a balance. There are some deals that we go short on, which means that uh, we already know that this founder is in talks for raising their next round. So the investors will get an early exit and a good one, right? But there are some deals in sectors that we like to go long on, right? Where we want to build up that entire sector, get about three, four companies, and then probably push it to, to a larger fund or a strategic, uh, you know, uh, acquisition play. Um, so that's how, you know, we think of exits. Interesting. Got it. And um, I think the next, the last question that I have before I move on to the next section, which is about women and angel investments, is um, what is your ideal ticket size? Typically, um, what uh, what ticket sizes do you invest in for yeah. these companies? Yeah. So we typically do about between fifty to one hundred and fifty k worth of investments uh, collectively through a network. Uh, but then. Uh, like I said, we have a couple of other family funds and, um, you know, VCs that work with us. So if we do an X amount, they end up putting at least 1X or 1.5X of that. Um, do you have provisions for follow-on funding and also for exits? Do you have any standard walking periods uh, before any angel thinks about exits or partial exits, especially in subsequent rounds? Um, so like I said, right, uh, even before we look at, you know, presenting a deal to any of our networks, we do think of exits right now, whether it is through a larger fund or an acquisition. Um, however, uh, you know, angel investing is a risky asset class, right? I mean, no matter how much we plan, uh, you know, macro micro factors really do play an important part on how those exits kind of play out. Um, so our strategy is mainly to liaison with certain funds, certain, you know, other people in the network who we very closely work with and we know have similar thesis, right? Uh, I think it's about being connected. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're very, very transparent in telling our angels that, look, nine out of 10 times, you are not going to be able to see a good exit on this, right? But that one time, the exit that you see is going to be phenomenal and it'll probably cover costs as well as make you and book you enough profit for all the other nine investments that probably went bust. Um, so we try as much, but you know, sometimes we have to leave things to fate because at the end of the day, there is a part that luck plays in angel investing. Totally agree. Uh, I think we also find ourselves, you know, we often have these questions in terms of, you know, the security of investments, right? So that's totally true and totally relate to that. Um, yeah, so moving on, um, what are some of the struggles you've encountered while working with women, um, startup founders and women angel investors? Um, so I think, uh, you know, a couple of things that I want to mention when it comes to women founders, and this is, you know, kind of more of my generic understanding over the past six to seven years. 
Um, and I don't think this is, you know, it's, it's not about being right or wrong or, you know, not good or bad. Uh, it's just, it's just observations, right? So, uh, you know, if you look at women founders, uh, most of them, when they start out businesses, um, the, they don't actually think their businesses can really become big, right? So some of them really restrict their visions or think that, you know, they could only grow a business to X level when the business could actually go 10X, right? Um, the second thing is a lot of females don't even think and consider that they can raise external money to actually scale up their business, right? So once you get your model right, once you know you get your unit economics in place, you have market validation, uh, and the only you know ingredient for success is putting in more money to scale up. A lot of women don't even consider that, right? So that's why some of the growth is stunted. Um, and then of course the third thing, like I mentioned before, right? Most women are not the most well connected. They don't like to talk. They don't like to talk about what they do until they've really achieved something, right? Uh, which in my mind, as an entrepreneur, you should talk about what you're building every day, right? Because people need to know you. They need to know who you are, what you're kind of solving for them to actually trust the products or service you're launching. Because no one will trust your brand unless they trust you first, right? You are the first sort of gateway to creating that uh, credibility for, you know, the startup that you're, uh, you know, into. Uh, so those are some of the things when it comes to founders, right? And I constantly always encourage all women founders to go out there, network with people, talk about what they're building. Um, and women, you know, I understand where they come from because we have limited time. So they feel like, you know, why should I, you know, you know, talk to someone or tell them about what I do? Let me just focus on building. But, you know, it's as important to tell the world. Um, right. And I think today with social media, you can use platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse to really amplify your reach and be smart about things. Um, in terms of women investors, I think the biggest challenge is that a lot of them um, don't have too many forums and people who they can talk to so today as an accomplished woman if I don't understand finance I'm you know I, I feel a little shy to actually go out and ask people hey you know what is what what do these terms mean what does exits mean you know what does cap table mean what does it mean if someone's raising on a safe note what's a value cap and uh, because you know they don't have access or they don't have a safe space to find out what these things mean, they actually kind of don't end up making the effort to you know to invest, right? So it's very very important to go out there to own what you don't know. Uh, no one knows everything, um, and you know actually look at it as a learning curve, right? So we all have things that we're great experts at and we all have things that we don't know so uh, women should not feel bad about the things that we don't know um, I think you know there's there's a lot more people who we could give knowledge to and take knowledge from absolutely that's some great advice and I think many of us can learn from that and um, yeah so you've spoken a lot about the importance of um, credible networking we're just talking about it so uh, what is your advice to maintaining stable healthy and fostering relationships especially for women founders and as well as angels absolutely um so one is i think uh you know uh Today, it's become a lot more easier virtually, right, with, uh, with platforms or social media. Um, so, the, you know, so the one thing that you can do is, um, you know, be constantly active on at least one platform of your choice. If you're someone who doesn't have the time or the inclination to be active on all platforms, at least pick one. 
and, and try and reach out to people there, try to create sort of like a thought leadership image about yourself, right? So just giving my example, I'm very active on LinkedIn, but probably not as much on Twitter or Facebook. But on LinkedIn, I make sure that I at least post five to six times a week. And I talk about things that I am an expert at, which is, you know, uh, of course, diversity, investing, entrepreneurship, or even networking, right? Now, what happens is that kind of ends up uh, letting people know that, you know, you, you, you know something and there is possibility to network, right? So keep yourself open to networking. Put, put a couple of hours every week that you set aside towards uh, networking. And whenever you are doing that, don't make these relationships transactional, right? Uh, don't go with the mindset saying, oh, this person works there. This is what they can help me with. If they don't, then I'm not going to speak, right? No one's going to help you unless A, you're going to help them or you, you're going to actually open up your network. So make sure that you do that. And, um, you know, I just posted a video on LinkedIn just about yesterday where I said networking is like investing, right? You have to make investments but it, for you to see kind of long-term returns, right? So, I think those are a couple of things. It is, it's really important. And when you start doing it, uh, of course you have to give it time. In, you know, in due course of time, you start realizing that uh, your everyday job is easier because now you're more well-networked. That's, that's an excellent advice. And I think I myself can take lessons from that. Um, yeah, so the next question I have is, uh, what is your take on uh, gender lens investing? Um, do you have any framework that you follow uh, to bring in uh, gender lens investing for your due diligence process? And how important do you think this is? Well, since we are a diversity focused network, definitely uh, you know, gender lens investing is one of our uh, strong thesis areas. Um, what we do is we at least uh, look at uh, having 60% of our investments into companies that are, uh, you know, female founded or co-founded. Um, remaining 40% could be, uh, you know, non-female founded, but we actively encourage those teams to become more diverse. And we facilitate that actively because we bring on women on their cap table. We bring on maybe women as advisors on their cap table and we help them maybe hire better talent or, you know, talent uh, that is, that's consisting of women. Um, so that's what, you know, what our thesis is, but in general, uh, you know, just talking about GLI, uh, I think the most important thing is that in the construct of, uh, you know, your investment team, it's very important to have a good balance between men and women, right? Uh, and most VCs are very male dominated, which is why there's such little investment in companies that are run by women, right? So, uh, VCs really need to rethink their construct because before they invest in diversity, they have to maintain diversity in their own sort of teams, uh, right? So I think gender lens investing starts there. And uh, once you have a well-balanced team, uh, you have women on the team, you have men on the team, you will understand sectors that a lot of men don't understand or vis-a-vis. And slowly, uh, entrepreneurship will become gender agnostic, right? I mean, to be honest, it doesn't have anything to do with gender. It's just that there are so many deep-rooted biases that we need to do a lot more to actually, you know, level the playing field. Oh, no, I love that. I love that. Um, so, yeah, for cross-border angel, so, you know, as you know, Intubay is a cross-border angel network, which is helping across pollination and investing. So what's your take on cross-border pollination and investing? Uh, I'm, I'm very for it because I think the world is shrinking and becoming very small. And there is only sense in figuring out how you can leverage each other's markets and communities, right? So even as a platform today, 
uh, even though we are based out of India and that's why we started, our first investment was in a company based out of the US, right? Because we want to use our network to help her set up shop here. And likewise, we want to make sure that our female investors are investing in companies overseas too, right? As we speak, we're already planning a launch in Dubai. Uh, and we're also looking at chapters across UK, US and Singapore. So I think cross-pollination is very important uh, because, uh, you know, today, if I'm an angel sitting in India and I want to invest in Dubai or Bangladesh, I need to have a network there who I can talk to because they understand their geographies and I understand my geographies, right? So how, you know, how do I make sure that there's transparent and very quick access to information on markets, on investment trends, on what's going on? you know, without having sort of cross-pollination. So it's necessary. And I think, you know, uh, it just makes the most, uh, you know, in best investment sense in my, uh, you know, in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, as we also look to, you know, create chapters for Bangladesh angels across our pockets of geographical areas where our members are based out of, I think that's something that we can also learn from. And yeah, so the next question I have is how, have you thought about engaging in uh, cross borders or say women's only angel investment network for Southeast Asia specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are uh, very bullish in that. We are in talks with a few people out of Singapore, um, out of the Philippines, out of, um, you know, uh, Thailand as well. Uh, a lot of women there. And, you know, what I love about uh, collaboration is that today, um, if I am part of a network and I see value in it, I also, I'm also going to want to join it if I get access to women across geographies, right? Or, or people across geographies. Um, so, so we are constantly on the lookout to liaison with such networks. And at the end of the day, um, I think, um, like I said, right, diversity is a you know, man and woman problem and it's, it's a global issue, right? So if we don't do this at a global level, it's going to be very tough for us to see uh, the impact in uh, or, or the or the impact scaling up to the level that we want to right so uh, we are bullish in southeast asia i think collectively we are one of the largest consumer pockets uh, we are one of the largest uh, uh, you know sort of also uh, hubs for innovation right largest hubs for young population uh, some of these trends really make for a very strong market right and definitely we can see trends of a lot of countries in the West wanting to invest here because here is where the growth is going to happen now, right? So you are going, the, you know, the del delta that you end up making on your investment is much higher in a quicker amount of time ra rather than some developed nations. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. In fact, um, you know, as we also look to, like I said, create the women's chapter for Bangladesh Angels, which is in the works, would love to see, you know, how we could support you or collaborate with you for 100%, that. 100%. And um, yeah, so in terms of ecosystem development, uh, what sort of, um, you know, policies or levers will enable this? Because there are definitely a lot, still a lot of challenges um, within the ecosystem globally when you want to, you know, engage more with female investors. So what sort of, you know, policy frameworks will enable uh, more females to join you? Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure too much in terms of policies, but definitely at, you know, at 
you know, at a, at a smaller level, what you can do is, or what organizations can do is try to see how they can involve women in some of these important discussions about money, finance, investments, growth, right? Most of the times when you see panels or you see events like this, it's like, you know, one woman there who's just as a token, right? But I think we need to encourage more women to be actively part of these discussions. Uh, we need to also, as an ecosystem, uh, create safe spaces for women where they can come and talk about, learn from each other, so on and so forth, right? Because only once we start encouraging such, such sort of conversations can we see, you know, uh, women referring other women or women organically wanting to do something in this space, right? And we also, you know, lastly need to really ask the men in our networks to step up and to get the women in their life to join or be part of such things, right? I think that is the most important and the easiest, quickest way to do so. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what are your future plans? Um, and, you know, is there any advice for women investors and entrepreneurs who are joining the startup ecosystem? And that's one. And two, um, do you plan on scoping Bangladesh as a market for your entrepreneurs and angels? And how can we help? How can Bangladesh angels help? Thank you so much. I, I love that you guys have, you know, and born to listen to everything that I just said for the past 60 minutes and also offered help. I'd love to connect and see. I think Bangladesh and India, we're neighbors. You know, I think there are a lot of synergies. Um, some of our uh, sort of consumer trends are very similar. Some of the challenges we face are very similar. So I think it just makes a lot of sense for us to maybe, you know, figure out a way to work together for our startups to leverage your markets vis-a-vis, right? That's one. Um, in terms of any advice for women, uh, I just want to say that, you know, trust your instincts. Uh, don't, uh, you know, a lot of times we discount ourselves and say, hey, I don't want to talk about myself. I haven't done so much. But the truth of the fact is that most men, when they talk about, you know, uh, the fact that they've done something, it's very small. But the fact that they've spoken about it is what brings them the limelight, right? So I want to encourage women to talk more about what they do, to go out there, network take a lot of risks right i mean as female founders it's okay to fail as an investor it's okay to fail because failure is nothing but a hiccup right and you are going to kind of learn through that journey right but unless you're on that journey you're never going to know right um so yeah those would be my two bits of um you know sort of uh, words or advice for women ariana got it got it that's lovely advice um I think this was a really engaging session and uh, thank you so much for the time, um, Diksha. I just had one last bit, right? Uh, when you started out, um, and uh, I know that, uh, you know, Greenhouse uh, Capital had been helping yeah. out, right, initially. Yeah. So yeah. what was the, you know, relationship there and how did you sort of uh, foster that into um, Incubate and uh, what came out of it? Absolutely. So Greenhouse Capital is an initiative or rather, you know, uh, based out of Africa that is looking at, you know, again, uh, solving for diverse lack of diversity in Africa. And they run a female focused accelerator there. So we reached out to them to just understand their learnings, their framework. So when we were launching, they helped us in terms of, you know, some of their playbooks, guides, know-hows, and we had the network and the, you know, uh, sort of credibility in India. So um, that's, that was the relationship, but, you know, soon enough, uh, you know, when, when we understood what to do, they'd kind of given us sort of, you know, um, an understanding into how do you create these programs and stuff. 
um, it was easy enough for me and the team to kind of pick it up and, you know, uh, take it forward. So <laughs> they still continue to do some great work um, in Africa. That's where their focus is. And of course, still uh, remain strong allies of what we do. Amazing. I just wanted to understand, did you um, ever look into the African market um, as a potential to invest? through? The um, in fact, funnily enough, we were just having a conversation with some of our angels about it because um, a lot of people are making bets on Africa, especially from yeah. India. Yeah. Uh, the way that I look at it is, uh, you know, uh, Africa still needs to create a very strong infrastructure, right? Whether it's in terms of, you know, transport, IT, technology, medical, you know, education. Um, and there are a lot of private companies and private groups with a lot more wealth that are doing that. A lot of Indian groups also doing that, right? Uh, my hunch is that uh, in the next couple of years, when some of these infrastructures are a lot more, uh, so to say, stronger than what they currently are, uh, we'd love to kind of explore opportunities, cross-border relations, even bring some deals, right? But currently, our focus, at least, you know, for the next, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months would not be on Africa as a geography. Yeah, got it. And even in, in the note of cross-border uh, pollination and investing, right, do you go through your diaspora members or you know even uh, diaspora indian uh, communities yeah, to actually yeah, uh, yeah, yeah yeah a lot of our members from uk us singapore hong kong they're all mm -hmm. indians but are either you know settled there or uh, yeah. you know have um, some sort of connection to the country either directly or you know through work or colleagues right so yeah. we definitely reach out but we are a very global network so uh, you know we're, we're open to people joining us from you know all sorts of countries cultures uh, and races excellent i think that is it um pretty much um but thank you so much uh, for tuning in um um, thanks, Ban, and, uh, you know, Emma and Ariana. It was uh, lovely to be here. And Absolutely. No, thank, thanks so much for, you know, hosting this and uh, being part of this journey. Thanks. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Bye. I look forward Bye. to working with you as well in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely, for sure.